0: When two dancers from the same Jacksonville show bar turned up dead, investigators believed it may have been the work of a serial killer. One of those cases would go on to be solved, but for Kathy Boswell's family, there would be no arrests, no justice. I'm Paige Kelton with Action News Jax, and we've partnered with Project Cold Case and the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office to put the spotlight on unsolved local crimes. The goal is to generate a tip that leads to an arrest. Now, Action News Jacks Lorena Inclan talks to Boswell's family and gets exclusive access to the detectives working this case.
1: At the corner of University Boulevard South and Phillips Highway, there was a club called Sands Speakeasy Show Bar. 27-year-old Kathy Boswell worked there as a dancer. It was also the last place she was seen alive. The date was February 22nd, 1984.
2: I remember getting the phone call from my mother saying that Kathy was missing. Karen St. Louis was Boswell's younger sister. Kathy got off work, she called my mother and
1: told my mother she was coming to see her. She also left her daughter, Jamie, at the babysitter's house. It was the babysitter who would later call police when Boswell did not show up. She would not ever have not picked her up. It just wasn't in her nature to, to be that way. JSO Sergeant Dan Jansen tells me about four months earlier, the body of another dancer from the same club was found in a burrow pit in St. John's County. The suspect in that case was William Daryl Lindsay a convicted serial killer who died in prison in 2001.
3: Can I say specifically that he's responsible for um, Kathy's case? I can't say that at this point but he certainly would be a person of interest
1: but st louis tells me there was someone
2: else who made her worry about her sister she had a a boyfriend at the time who was who had a propensity for violence and we knew this and we were not happy at all but he was not officially named a suspect a few days after boswell
1: disappeared jso found her car at the lions gate apartments less than a mile away from the club
3: There was a set of boots in the car um, and there were some initials written on the inside and so we were concerned about that
1: almost exactly a year later in February of 1985. The Baker County Sheriff's Office response to this area just off of I 10 East and the exit for 228 over the fence here in the woods. Crews working in this area had found human remains. St. Louis tells me about four years after that discovery, dental records confirmed it was Kathy Boswell.
4: She was uh, a small female. She didn't weigh a lot. Just to pick her up and dump her over the fence. Baker County Detective Tracy Benton is now working the case. This is the um, original file and you can see Um, that it's not very thick Um, and then today's file from going through and gathering um, more information.
1: Together, JSO and the Baker County Sheriff's Office believe the case can be solved. Hope has faded for St.
2: Louis, but she tells me it's
1: not completely gone.
2: I forgive the person who killed her. I prayed for the person that killed her, but I would still like to know
1: who it is. In the meantime, she's making sure the name Kathy Boswell is not forgotten. Lorena Inkland, CBS 47, Action News Jax. Karen, thank you so much for meeting with us uh, to talk about your sister. I know this is not easy, so first I want to ask you, how are you doing? Uh,
2: well, well, mm-hmm. under the circumstances, very well. Now, were you uh, Kathy's older sister, younger sister? I was the middle one, <laughs> the middle one, okay. Yeah, I had a young, we had a younger brother. She was the oldest, she was the firstborn. Kathy was the firstborn? Yes.
1: Okay. And it's uh, three three of you, right? Yes. Um, Tell us a little bit
2: about your sister, Kathy. Um, She had a good sense of humor. She was very strong. I mean, mentally and physically, she was very strong. Um, She had a daughter, and she was a really good mother. And she was overall a pretty happy person. What did her daughter mean to her? Everything. Kathy was just crazy about Jamie. She just loved her, you know. Um, She raised her by herself. She was a single mother and um, she was very devoted to Jamie. Mm -hmm. Tell us,
1: where's Jamie now? And how old is she? She lives
2: in Georgia. She's Mm -hmm. married. She goes to college. Um, She's raising her family. She's doing well. she was very upset that she couldn't be here today, but she, she's doing well under the circumstances. You know, it's hard for her, you know.
1: Karen, take us back to that day in 1984. What do you remember?
2: Um, I remember getting the phone call from my mother saying that Kathy was missing, and I remember thinking, um, it wasn't possible, that she was just lost, you know. Um, as the days went by, and she didn't show up, um, I, I remember feeling complete devastation, confusion. And um, everybody in the family, uh, it, was, it was just devastating. It was. Um, we, we had a bad time, all of us, separately and together. Uh, um, and every one of us went on our own journeys to try to find her. And we couldn't find her, and we didn't know why we couldn't find her. And then, of course, there was her daughter, who was six years old at the time, and she was constantly crying for her mother. And it's hard to console a child when you don't even know where their mother is, you know. We just know she didn't leave. How did you try to find her? You, Everybody went physically looking for her? Yes, well, yes. Uh, we went to Jacksonville because that's where she lived. Uh, we went to Jacksonville to look for her. We called uh, friends that that she knew or that we knew of. Um, We talked to other family members. I mean, we just, my father uh, talked to detectives and tried to get the Tampa Police Department to help and get in touch with Jacksonville. I mean, everybody everybody tried to do something because it was better to try to do something than to just sit there and try to do nothing and figure out what happened.
1: Did you think at first it might have been a misunderstanding? Maybe she was at a friend's house or something like that? Or well, did you know
2: that something was wrong? We felt like something was wrong because Jamie was at the babysitter. Kathy got off work. She called my mother and told my mother she was coming to see her. Okay. My mother lived in Um so mom waited for her. Um, and that was common. They were very close, so it was very common for Kathy to go and see my mother at all hours of the day and night. So mm-hmm. it was common. So we knew in our hearts that something was not right when she when she disappeared. Did you ever worry about her? Oh yeah. Her job? Well, and, sure, sure. I mean, you always do. I mean, our parents worried about us because we were young and in different cities, and um, we worried about each other, of course. But yeah, that's that's common mm-hmm. to worry. Mm-hmm.
1: Nothing out of the ordinary, ordinary in terms of somebody that that you may have not wanted her to hang out with or anything like that. Um, I mean,
2: she had a a boyfriend at the time who was who had a propensity for violence, and we knew this, and we were not happy at all. Um, we did not understand why she would want to be in anyone's company like that, but, yeah. But he was not the father of her child? No, yeah. no. Um, the father of, of her child was never, well, he went to prison, <laughs> so that was that. He was never around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She never, she never. The, the child never knew who her, who her father was. So. And had she been working at that speakeasy for a while? Um, yes, for a little bit. Um she she was the kind of person that she worked a lot of different kinds of jobs. You know, she tried a lot. She even went to welding school. I mean, she just had a lot of interest. So, and in uh, all truth and honesty, we were not happy with her choice of employment at the time. But everybody makes their own way. And we knew that she would not always work there. So...
4: Mm-hmm.
2: It was just
1: one of those... Passing odd jobs that she yes yeah. yes that's what you, you perceived yes and Karen um the day that she disappeared uh do you remember what day of the week it was and, or, and was it late at night was she getting off of work late at night or? um
2: she got off that night but it wasn't late okay uh it was early enough that she did call mom and say I'm coming in. and, and mom was mom was what about an hour away you know okay. so it wasn't real real late um now what day of the week it is I'm sorry I I no, just that's don't okay. remember. Yeah, I was just wondering if it might have been a weekend or, you know, it was a weekday. I know that. It wasn't a weekend, it was actually a weekday. I also know that she worked um, different shifts, so Mm -hmm. this was just one of those shifts where she was able to get off early enough to go see mom, so. The investigators were telling me that the person who was babysitting Jamie was the one who called police. Right. Yeah, because it was unusual for Kathy not to pick Jamie up, her daughter up. It was very highly unusual because Kathy, like I said, was, she was very devoted to Jamie. And she would not ever have not picked her up. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't in her nature to to be that way. So she knew, the babysitter knew before we ever knew that Kathy was missing. Uh, The babysitter knew something was wrong. Were you shocked when you... Realized that days
1: went by weeks went by months and yes. nothing
2: yes mm-hmm.
1: you didn't think it would li- it would
2: be this long um, i honestly didn't um i never thought it would be this many years it just you have hope you know you hope you hope that that the the case will be solved and you'll at least have some idea about why this happened and who was responsible for this and why and they would have done this but as the years go by your hope kind of fades you can't help but for it to fade you know and you have to go on with your life and you have to it sticks with you it lives with you every day but you just go on and that's what we did Could you take me back to that day when her remains were found yes I was at my mother's house when the phone call came in, and I answered the phone, and the medical examiner told me that they had identified Kathy's body at the morgue. Now, you have to remember, when Kathy's body was found in McClenney, uh when her remains were found, they were sent to the medical examiner's office in Jackson. I mean, I'm sorry, in Gainesville. And she was there for four more years Mm. because um, they didn't, things got mixed up and her dental records weren't sent in by mistake. And Mm. so when they were, when that was realized, then they were sent in, then they were able to identify her. And that's when they called and told me that they had identified her, that they had her remains. And that's when they told me that she had been there, they had had her remains. All those years, you know, wow. just waiting, and so between the remains
1: being found and the remains actually getting identified, like four years passed. Right. Right. Wow.
2: Well, she was, yeah, yeah. and it was all a mix-up with with her. Yes, it was just it was just a was just a, a, um, a series of unfortunate events, I guess. You know, there's no animosity with my family about what happened with that. It was it was an accident. That's all it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was good to know that they that we had her. Uh, it was good to know that we could bury her.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: But it was still so incredibly painful. Yeah. Yeah. Because
1: it, did it make it real at that point, even though you didn't know where she was this whole time? But It at that did.
2: Point. It did. And honestly, if you want to know the truth, part of me was relieved because at least we had her. At least we could bury her now. Um, there was an actual death certificate. Um, so she wasn't just a missing person anymore, you know. Um, she was now officially a homicide case and um, it 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 helped a lot to be able to have a funeral for the family members to be able to come together and and it, even as painful as it was with the circumstances surrounding her death, um, we we were at least able to put her where we could go and put some flowers out for her and you know, mm-hmm. this is where she is now.
1: You do know. you visit her every now and then? Oh, yeah,
2: I do quite a bit. I try to go to see my grandmother once er, oh, every week or two, and I always stop by the cemetery and I say hi to everybody and put some flowers out, and mm-hmm. it just makes me feel better. Karen, what's happened to your family since Kathy's death? Um, we all separated for a long time. We went and we grieved in, in, in our own way. Um, it was very, very hard for um, it was hard for her name to be said without somebody breaking down. It was very difficult. Um, my mother has passed. My brother has passed. There are very few of us left. And um, I always make sure I talk about her. I, I so much time has gone under the bridge, and she she was only 27 years old. You know, she didn't even get a chance to live her life very long at all. So I do always try to mention her name or, you know, talk about her and, you know, just, just keeping the memory going. You, know. you don't want her to be forgotten? Yeah? No, and I'm not saying that she wouldn't, um, but I guess it just helps my feelings, you know, mm-hmm. so. It's, you mentioned how important it is
1: to you to, to get some, some sort of answers here. Right. Your mother has passed away right. and your brother as well. Right. And they never found out yeah. what happened. What would it mean to you to know and for your father as well? To know? Um,
2: honestly, um, I think that, uh, well, I know everybody has said the word closure. It would bring a certain amount, but maybe it, I think it would just help us a lot just to know who killed her and why. Because when someone takes your loved one away from you like that, I feel like you just deserve to know why. It's important. You can't do anything with the reason why but at least you know and not knowing will put you in a grave faster than at least knowing what happened because it, it just kills you I mean senseless acts of violence it just kills you not knowing why this happened so you know um, I, th- I i I said earlier I, I forgive the person who killed her I pray for the person that killed her, but I would still like to know who it is. And it would mean a lot to us to know what happened to her that night. It would it would mean a great deal. Um, we could probably put most of it to rest by then, you know, if we could just find out. So, yeah. Her daughter grew up
1: and didn't have her mom.
2: Yeah, her mom.
1: What would it mean to her, do you think?
2: I think you know? That it would put her mind to rest, if you want to know the truth about it. Because when you're little, small like that, you remember bits and pieces and details. Your your mother never goes away, but you know the people that were around her at the time. And it will, I think it would give her peace of mind. I know it would give all of us peace of mind, but I know her especially. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's never going to bring her mother back, but um, every time she talks to me, she'll talk about, you know, we'll talk about her mom. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. This all you mentioned
1: came about uh, through Project Cold Case, the nonprofit. Right. How right. important
2: is it to you, to survivor families, to have an organization like this? I think that it, it is really tremendous. I was so happy whenever I went online and by accident I saw Project Cold Case. And I was so happy whenever I could. I asked them if they would take Kathy's uh, picture and put it on their site. And they were so so, so kind, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think it's really wonderful because when you do have somebody who's missing or you do have someone, a loved one that was murdered and it's an unsolved murder, you just, you just need it to be out there because somebody might know something and they don't even realize that they know, they might have seen something and they don't even realize what they saw, so yeah, it's huge, Mm -hmm. it's huge. You know, so many years later, and,
1: and, and here we are talking about your sister, yeah. and the Baker County Sheriff's Office was telling me that they're still looking into this case.
2: Right. What is your relationship like with the detective on the case? Really, really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really good. Um, I talk to her as much as I can. Um, I know I probably drive her crazy, really, <laughs> because I'll think of something, and I will call her and go, I just had a thought. And bless her heart. She's so sweet. She will hear me out no matter what. If I'm going in circles, she will hear me out, you know. Um, And every time that she's doing something or she's going somewhere or she's having a meeting, she will tell me. She'll call me and say, I just want to let you know what's going on. And so she's been really, really super because way back then, The information wasn't as forthcoming then as it is now. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have a lot to go on, Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, and I understand your mom back then went on TV. She did, she did. She spoke with the reporters. Um, She, my mother had a bit of a nervous breakdown over Kathy's disappearance. And she was just trying to do whatever she could, just like now, all these years later, here I am trying to do something, anything, any little thing I can do to try to, get this out there so people will know and maybe remember you know so right. yeah
1: what's your message to whoever's watching that might know maybe was around at that
2: time if there's a reason why if there's a reason why they didn't speak up then maybe after all these years they'll be brave enough to speak up now I understand trying to get involved is in. in certain situations is really scary and I understand that but I'm hoping that it will be easier now for them to just come forward and say I know this and I know that and and it may be something and it may be nothing but you got to do it anyway you got to be brave and just do it you know how do you want your sister to be remembered I want her to be remembered as a fun-loving person I want her to be remembered as a strong person I want her to be remembered as a good mom And she really was a good person. And I want her to be remembered as somebody who was loved very much. Thank you so much for joining us. you both here uh, as
1: we talk about this, uh, our next cold case for the Project Cold Case series. We're joined by Sergeant Tracy Benton, detective with the Baker County Sheriff's Office, and Sergeant Dan Jansen, supervisor of the Cold Case Unit at the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office. And Sergeant Jansen, I'll start with you because really the case of Kathy Boswell Really begins in your jurisdiction in Jacksonville. Tell us what happened.
3: Sure. Uh, good morning, Lorena. Um, so back in uh, February of uh, 1984, Kathy Boswell was working in a um, in a uh, a dance club. Um, it was known as the Speakeasy Lounge. Uh, this was uh, she was 28 years of age. Um, she a white female. She was. This was the 21st of February of 1984. Um, she dropped off her child she had a seven year old child dropped off the child with with a babysitter which was a normal routine for her she didn't you know there wasn't anything that was uncommon She went to work and um, she never returned home from work at, after uh, going to work that day um, that was very uncommon for her not to come home from work she really loved her child she was always attentive to the child made sure that that she was there to pick pick the child up on time and um, and you know, was very punctual about uh, being there for her child. So, it, the very next day, it was, the police were called because they were concerned about the fact that she hadn't returned home from work. Um, her vehicle was missing. We, were, we went out looking for her vehicle, and uh, it was later found, just a few days later, found over off of Richard Street. Now, the Speakeasy Lounge back then was uh, at the corner of Phillips Highway and University Boulevard. And so when her vehicle was found at the uh, Lionshead Apartments on Richard Street, that's literally like maybe a block and a half, two blocks away, short distance, which kind of leads us to believe that, that she knew who her assailant was or had made an acquaintance with her assailant. Um, it wasn't just something random out of the blue um, that she hooked up with him and, and parked her car right around the corner and got in his vehicle most likely.
1: And, and so this was back in 1984 when this happened. Uh, tell us about, did JS, do you know if JSO right away suspected foul play with her disappearance?
3: Um, I would I would suggest that they probably did not um, because of just the nature of working in a nightclub the way she did and that she had a, uh, a lifestyle that didn't lend itself to foul play immediately. Um, that it could have been conceivable that she just hooked up with someone and ended up spending the night out. And so um, I'm inclined to tell you that, that uh, that wasn't looked at looked at as foul play until the phone call was made from the complainant, who said that, "Hey, we have her child, and that it's uncommon for her to leave her child with us this long." So that's that's when obviously the red flag started going up. Um, so let's let me digress just a minute here. Um, initially, when we get the call to to start looking into this case again, um, we didn't have anything that was on file that was. I mean, we, have, we had reports, we had to go find them. So I have a logistical technical service officer who, um, by the way, lives in Baker County, um, who helped us. Her name's Rochelle Starling. She helped us kind of dig up all the old reports in this, in this case. So we didn't have a whole lot of information to go on at first. Um, but then we, we went through our microfiche and actually pulled up some of these reports and started going through them and started seeing some Connections maybe with a, a case that's that's related to one that was born out of uh, St. Johns County Sheriff's Office and, and I'll let detective Benton kind of touch on that as well um, so it, once she pulled all the reports um, then we set up a meeting to meet with uh, with Sergeant Benton and the Baker County Sheriff's Office to kind of start putting the pieces of this puzzle together.
1: So she she goes missing after the daycare calls JSO right to report um, that she didn't pick up her child.
3: Well, it wasn't a daycare; it was an individual family. Oh, so, so it
1: was a family. Report. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
3: yeah. Because yeah. she went to work at night. So, okay. Yeah.
1: So. Oh, I see. Okay, so she dropped off her child uh, with with a family member and then never uh, picked them up.
3: A, I say an individual family. It wasn't her family member. It was a friend, but it okay. was a family, not a daycare. Okay. Okay, so, gotcha. That's gotcha. so. I understand. Okay. Yeah, not not one of her friend, not one of her family. Her friend, a family, not a daycare.
1: Okay. okay. <laughs> so the people who had her child, who taking taking care of her child, was the one, who, the ones who noticed that something was wrong.
3: Those were our complainants, exactly, and they had called. They were friends of Kathy. Yeah, friends, friends of hers. So. Yes, and so. Um, they called us and said, hey, listen, we, we've had her child and we can't get a hold of her. Now, you got to remember, we're back in 1984. There's not cell phones, so you're not really picking up a cell phone and calling somebody, you know. So at the time that you would make contact with a babysitter would be one where you ended up at a location where you could actually use a uh, a landline phone. Right.
1: And so the uh, at that point, she is reported as a missing person. And then what happens after that? Does it? Does a year pass and then that's when Baker County comes in or so part of that, how does Baker County come into play here? So
3: I'll, I'll let uh, Sergeant Benton kind of talk about that and then I'll, I'll tell you how sure. we kind of interact with with their, with their discovery of Kathy.
4: So um, it was also in February of 1985, so almost an exact year later, um, there's some people doing some type of work uh, along the interstate and they discover uh, human bones. And they call it in, and uh, those find, what they found was then sent off to the medical examiner's office. Um, from that point, uh, I believe years pass, and they finally are able to identify her as Kathy Boswell.
1: And so the investigation, because her remains were found here, sort of becomes, Baker County becomes the lead in this case.
4: Technically, yes. Um, from what I can tell, um, they basically, back then, notified JSO, you know, that they had found one of their missing persons, obviously deceased, um, and I I think together they shared information back and forth back then. Um, things were sent off to labs and that, that sort of thing.
1: And Sergeant Benton, could you tell us how she died? No, I cannot. She, her bones were, were or she, she was... So decomposed
4: to a point where you can't. It was actually literally um, only human bones that were found.
3: Yeah, cause of manner's is not easily to 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 be determined on cases of advanced decomposition or something you know blatantly obvious like a like a like a bullet wound hole in in a skull or something like that. Generally speaking, you're you're not going to have that that information. So you know, wouldn't be a stretch to say that you know um, maybe not in this case, but if one you know gets. Picked up and they go out and they party all night and they do drugs and drink. I'm not saying Kathy did this, but if they do this all night long, and that, somebody ends up passing away because of it, and now the other person's stuck with a dead person and they dump them off on the side the road because they're scared. They're scared that they're going to be held accountable or they're going to be responsible for murder, when maybe the case is an accidental type situation. But so I'm not going to. I'm not going to. You know cast judgment on this particular one because a lot of the information that we have that we've kind of been working with in Baker County suggests that there is foul play in this case.
1: And what leads lead you to believe that there is foul play here?
3: Well, uh, some of the things that I talked about, um, the fact that her car is just parked right around the corner for where she leaves work, the fact that she left her child unattended. Uh, well, the child was attended but uh, left her child without her picking the child up after an extended, uh, inordinate amount of time. These are, these are mitigating factors, obviously, that kind of lead you to believe that, uh, that there's something going awry. Plus, when you find her remains on the side of a road uh, a good distance away from where, uh, where she was last seen.
4: Right. And she supposedly had called her mom that night saying she was going to come out, and she never made it out to the mother's house, who at the time resided in Lusty, which is also in Baker County. Oh,
1: okay. So, so the, the fact that she's in Baker County, uh, well, she, she had family here at the time? Correct. Okay. The um, the people at the speakeasy were they helpful? Do you know from the
3: case file looking at them? So from the missing person standpoint, yeah, they were. We went and in, interviewed several people there. Uh, they gave us information. Um, uh, I don't. I can't say any of it points to uh, a direct suspect or anything like that. But they did give us information of, of the, the, uh, the personnel that were in the club that night. Uh, someone suggested that she was um, friendly towards a, uh, one male individual a description was given to us. Though, we can't say that you know that he's responsible, so I wouldn't be very careful about putting that, that kind of information out there, you know. Um, and uh, then we also talked to some other dancers that, that were at the club. Uh, one of them said that, in reference to that male that I brought up, that uh, she had purchased uh, a set of boots specifically for him that she would wear that night. So um, I guess she was anticipating Having a having a certain customer there.
1: With the right now with the advancement of technology, obviously we're into twenty eighteen at this point. Could you tell us a little bit about where this case stands right now as we speak?
4: Um, Bringing it up to today's standards, um, bringing you know gathering information, more uh, details that we can go back and investigate more. Maybe re interview people. Um, That's basically where we are right now.
1: It looks like a pretty big uh, case file that, right here on the table yes. for Kathy. Yes. It, it seems like there's a lot of work that has been done.
4: Correct. This is the um, original file and you can see um, that it's not very thick. Um, and then today's file from going through and gathering um, more information and details uh, to make this you know, go a little further.
1: Was any uh, DNA evidence able to be uh, extracted from the remains at all that might be helpful?
4: other than to identify her. And I think that was actual dental, re- dental records um, versus DNA. DNA didn't actually, no. it, we didn't have it back then. It was years later before it started um, to help with investigations. Sergeant
1: Benton, could you tell us a little bit
4: more about the area where she was found? Yes, the area she f- was found um, was off of I- I-10 and 228. Um, I-10 East, there's a creek right before you get off the interstate, and uh, obviously there's a fence that goes along the interstate, and she was uh, located in the wooded area right off of I-10, um, I 10, close to have, the fence. Yeah, I think
3: you think thinking of a map yes. as well. And so, one of the important things to understand also is that <clears throat> when we have um, investigations that cross jurisdictional boundaries, um, I want the public to know and, and, and the family members of uh, our survivors of victims that we work hand in um, hand, and it's a it's a great working relationship that we can cross boundaries. Uh, in fact, I think we mentioned earlier there was a tie to a St. Johns County case. Um, the victim in that case was Lisa Foley, who also worked at the Speakeasy Lounge, and she came up missing as well. Easy Easy Lounge. The same one, yes. And so, uh, between the three jurisdictions, uh, we we've all uh, conversed about these, this particular case to see uh, if there's any other nexuses aside from you know the common the commonality of the workplace. How so, far
1: apart were those incidents? Uh,
4: I believe that um, during the time that Kathy went missing, they had already discovered Lisa's uh, remains and were work, was working that case. Um, and due to the fact that she worked at the speakeasy, um, JSO in St. John's County made contact and was trying to figure out what the similarities were between the two cases.
1: Do you know if, uh, if Lisa Foley's remains were also found near an interstate?
4: No, hers
3: no. were not. No, no, they were in a, in a borough pit.
1: Yes. Okay. Uh, and and so this this area where where um, uh, where Kathy was found she this was sort of right near where uh, the interstate is.
4: Correct. Does that I guess lead you to believe that um, this suspect may not be in our area anymore? I mean anything's possible with it being right off the interstate.
3: So in the in the um, Lisa Foley case, um, there was a serial killer, uh, William um Darryl Lindsay's, his name, um, who is believed to be responsible for anywhere between 12 and 20 homicides or murders. Um, and so, you know, of course we have to look at him as an individual. Uh, one of the things that we even talked about this morning is to make sure that we have his uh, DNA standard in CODIS so that anywhere down the line, any other remains, he, and to include this one, if we have other cases, that we have a DNA comparison uh, with him uh can i say specifically that he's responsible for um kathy's case i can't say that at this point but he certainly would be a person of interest you know because of the ties with the foley case mm-hmm.
1: and, and sergeant bender you were going to show us uh, the map more or less of where she was found yes okay so the x is where yes she ma'am and workers found her yes ma'am mm-hmm. What were they? I mean, were they construction workers? Were
4: they? Um, I don't know if they were replacing the fence at the time, or it had something to do with like signage on the interstate. But it was some type of um, construction type. Mm-hmm.
1: Were her remains buried, or were
4: they- no? It, they were just kind of scattered in the area, and I do not believe they actually located all of her um, remains.
1: Talk to us about, and either one of you can answer this if you want, both of you can answer this, about the challenges with this case in order to be able to bring it to some sort of conclusion.
3: Well, let's talk about just from the missing person side. Kind of like I mentioned earlier, uh, just digging up old reports, um, even finding those was was a challenge because back then it was a missing person. We had an intelligence bulletin that we had put together um, uh, back in 1984 that we had put out and it was, it was released to uh, local counties and um, and so we, we developed that but we didn't have that. We didn't have a case file because it wasn't considered a homicide with JSO at first and so the challenges are that you're dealing with, number one, the effects of time and, and like uh, Sergeant Benton said, we, our goal here at a very minimum is to bring our case, their case, all these cases up to uh, current investigative standards. And so finding the reports was a challenge to begin with. And as I'm going through the reports, I see where there's some information documented about contents of Kathy's car. Um, I can tell you in 2018, we're collecting those things. We're, we're holding the car. You know, uh, That wasn't a common practice back in 1984. And so they did a good job documenting what they saw, but we don't have those items because you gotta remember at the time, you, you know, unless you could lift a print off of it, if it was a piece of clothing, for an example, um, that was found in the car, if it, wasn't, if it wasn't conducive for fingerprinting, you didn't save it. Because you didn't think DNA would even be on the radar. You know, that we should hold this in case we have DNA in the future. You know, so, I know it sounds silly to say that, but the fact of the matter is that's the way the business was conducted back then. So, good of, good of them to document what was in the car, but we don't have those things to to do DNA testing on. So, um, so those that's a challenge in itself. That that you had evidence that's kind of lost because of time and the way the things were handled back in uh, you know 30, 35 years ago.
1: And how important is something like a vehicle to an investigation like this? Oh, it's absolutely
3: it's huge. Because uh, I mean, let's face it that if you, if we had her vehicle today, in the condition yeah. it was back then, you know, we certainly could. You know, go through the car for uh, trace evidence and DNA evidence and, you know, the handles of the car. And There's a lot of things we could have done.
1: What do you think, uh, Sergeant Benton, in terms of the challenges with this case? Because I know that you also keep in touch with Kathy's family as well, even after all these years.
3: Yes,
4: ma'am. This is the first cold case that I've actually, you know, been honored to work. Um, I'm learning a little bit as I go with the help of JSO and St. Johns County. going back and trying to find all these reports as um, Sergeant Jansen said, um, researching it, looking to see if we have any evidence from back then, uh, trying to look at photos. It's, uh, it's quite challenging to try to put your mind back in 1984-85 and bring it to 2018.
1: With um, we, we mentioned NamUs a little while ago too, obviously it wasn't available back then, but if you can briefly just tell us about how helpful. That organization is in cases like this. Well,
3: obviously, Namus has has, is very it's very helpful. Um, They have a mission, you know, and their mission is to get uh, unidentified um, remains identified. And um, so, it's Namus is rather young, a rather young organization, um, and a lot of it's hinged on DNA. So we're even going back in some of our cold cases, other cases unrelated to this one. Where we're finding out that um, individuals, um, their their DNA, even though they're listed in names, their DNA has not been collected yet and uploaded, so that we could do a comparison somewhere down the line, should some unidentified remains be located. And I can't even begin to imagine how many sets of unidentified remains exist in uh, medical examiners' offices uh, throughout the nation. Quite frankly, never mind locally or the state of Florida. Sergeant
1: Jensen, you mentioned the car in this case. It- could you tell us what was found in that
3: car from the files that you have? Or- well, the, 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 I'll tell you the one thing that was a little concerning for me that I saw. Um, that, I'm not going to go through every detail that was in the car, but there was a set of boots in the car um, and there were some initials written on the inside. And so we were concerned about that documentation. You know, I'm going to hold that close to the vest with initials stated, but the fact that there were some boots in there uh, that belonged to a male and there's some initials on there, um, we'll. Uh, You know, we'll we'll certainly be looking at everyone that that crossed our paths in in this case. And, and, you know, working hand-in-hand with Baker County and Sergeant Benton and even uh, St. John's County. If these initials match up with someone, then, you know, we're going to take a discerning look.
1: What is your best uh, uh, guess in terms of how this case could be solved?
4: Um, Just re-speaking to witnesses, um, you know, Doing a timeline of what she possibly did that night. I'm looking into her history of things that she did. I mean, that's really the best thing that I can think to do at this point.
3: Yeah, it's it, she, not, she's spot on. You, but you never know when somebody's going to get incarcerated or has information or is incarcerated. Um, you know, it, let's let's for one example, let's say that um, William Lindsay is responsible for this. He, uh, you know, get, go to him. He's looking at multiple murder charges and through multiple states. He's incarcerated in one of the Carolinas, I think North Carolina. I think. I'm one of the Carolinas. But he, uh, you know, going to him in, and interviewing him. Hey, listen, your life is over. You're not getting out. You got a lifetime sentence and you're facing multiple other charges in multiple other states. You know, are you responsible for this? And he'd have to have the facts and he'd have to know what the facts were before he would. He would say that he was or wasn't, or we would confirm that. But that's just one avenue. Or if somebody gets incarcerated and they have information on the case and they come forward with it. Um, I know a lot of time, a long time has passed, but but those are things that can happen.
1: Do you both believe that Kathy was murdered at the hands of a serial killer?
3: I don't believe that. I, I won't say that. I believe she was murdered. Yes. Absolutely. I don't believe. I can't say. I, I believe whether or not. I shouldn't say. I don't believe. I can't say whether it was at the hands of a serial killer or not, because it may not have been. It could have been just a, a chance encounter that she had with somebody and it ended up in a violent end. Um, it's a tragedy any way you, any way you look at it. Um, but I'm not quick to say that it was a serial killer that's, that's responsible for it.
1: I agree. From the information you both have, what do you
4: think the motive is to kill her? That's one of the things that we need to find out.
3: Yeah, yeah we, don't, we don't have a clear <laughs> yeah. clear cut motive. It could be a number of things. It could be robbery. It could be sexually related. It could be, uh, it could be a myriad of things. It could have been a simple argument. You know.
1: Is that speakeasy still there in that area?
3: No. And there's a there's a structure there, but it's not the speakeasy lounge.
1: Okay. Sergeant Benton, you know what? For for you, because I know you keep in touch with uh, Kathy's sister. What would it mean to you to call Kathy's sister and let her know that? you have somebody possibly
4: solve this case? Oh, give her closure. I know that that would, um, I believe Kathy's father, I believe, is still alive as well. Um, I think that that would um, just be a wonderful thing to be able to call them and let them know that we've, we've solved it, we figured out what happened, we know who did it, um, put them at ease a little bit. And
1: also, we were talking briefly that uh, Baker County doesn't have very many self homicides. correct. How uncommon is it for uh, something like this or, uh,
4: to happen in Baker County um, it's very uncommon um, to have a murder out here in Baker County is very uncommon um, to have a an unsolved one you know that that's even rare um, we we have a few I think three I believe um, compared to that of Jacksonville um, we've got a little bit more time to work on them maybe <laughs> um, but yeah it's, it's very rare
1: and we don't know where she was killed, right? We just know that her remains were found
3: here? Correct. There? Okay, correct. That's correct. Mm-hmm. So if you, about, if you think about the case with, um, with uh, the suspect Ron Hyde Laster, and the Laster yes. case, so th- that's another example of kind of like the Boswell case. It, it crossed uh, multi, multi-jurisdictional boundaries. Uh, the remains were found in a torso found in Columbia County. Um, he, he was, the case was born out of our jurisdiction as a missing 16-year-old. Okay, uh, so his remains are found in Columbia County. Ultimately, it looks like he was killed in Jacksonville Beach. So even though that is Duval County, uh, the Jacksonville Beach Police Department does have their own jurisdiction out there and we let them take the lead in their own homicides. So it's, it's multiple, multiple agencies working together, just like in this particular case. And also, let me, uh, let me back up a step here. So and I'll talk about the complainant. Um, so when the complainant actually uh, gets in contact with us, he calls the police and, and says that, uh, that uh, Kathy hasn't returned home to, to pick up her child. And so we go out and we take a report. He actually goes to her house and, um, to get clothes and, and necessities for the child. And he said that when he got there, there was no signs of anything that was out of the ordinary or out of place. So that kind of also tells us that she did not go home prior to um, her disappearance, you know, because there, there could always be that, that factor, but nothing was out of the ordinary there. Did it,
1: did it look like there was a struggle at the car scene? Did, did anything
3: leave no. Anything? yeah? No, nothing Nothing stood out at the car scene other than maybe the contents of the car,
1: mm-hmm. and that's about and, it. and those boots that somebody brought up uh, right. at, at
3: this that, point was, that was, in, yeah, it was documented yeah. in the report, so. Right, right.
1: And also, somebody, did somebody at the Speakeasy say that she had, might have been expecting a client? or Correct. Separate,
3: yeah. right. We're talking about two separate set of boots here.
1: Oh, those are two? Okay, yes. I'm glad that yes. I brought that up. Okay, yes. so those are two
3: separate set of boots. Yeah, now, you're okay. saying, so she bought a pair of black boots that she was going to wear for, for this customer, this right. clientele. And, so, um, and those were purchased for that, that and she wore them that evening. Okay. Now, the, the boots that were located in a car were not those boots, so unrelated to... The two separate sets.
1: Still a very important piece of evidence. Absolutely. Yes. Especially Absolutely. because of the initials you have. Right. Yeah. Correct. Thank you both. I appreciate you both sitting down with us. And I guess before we let you guys go, um, we, we briefly touched about uh, the joint investigation. But real briefly, we can talk about um, how having two agencies work on this case—how helpful is that to come to a conclusion in this case?
3: Well, you know, it's uh, many minds are better than one, you know, and so um, it's, it's very important because it's pieces of the puzzle. We all, we, we work hand in hand. We enjoy working hand in hand. Um, we don't ever want anybody to think that they can cross over a jurisdictional boundary and think that they can get away with murder. That's not acceptable. And we've always, it's, it's always, it's good camaraderie. Um, we, we, not only do we work on cases and we solve cases, But we also make friendships, you know, and and along the way. And we share intelligence and we learn from each other.
4: Absolutely. Um, You know, using each other's resources, uh, learning from each other, um, it's it's quite helpful.
0: Action News Jack's Project Cold Case airs the second and fourth Wednesdays of each month on Action News Jack's at 530. You can also find all of our stories, interviews, pictures, and documents at actionnewsjacks.com. Just look for the Project Cold Case button. And listeners, we hope you share this podcast on your social media platforms. Lorena and I also welcome your questions. Tweet us at Paige A.N. and Lorena A.N.